0: internet. What is up? It's Monday. It's time for the Lone Element podcast. Before we dive in, let's get some business out of the way. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by DECT. What is DECT? They're a vehicle storage solution company. They make amazing injection molded bed systems for trucks. Don't ask for SUV stuff. They don't make stuff, unfortunately, for forerunners or for land cruisers or any of that yet might be on the drawing board in the future. But right now all they do, they specialize in truck systems for truck beds. They have their traditional drawer system, which is what they started the company with. Amazing product. I have it. I absolutely love it. And I like can't figure out how I've lived without it for so long. They most recently though just released a toolbox. Uh, variant of their product. So if you are a little bit more minimalist, uh, you don't like the, the drawer system, don't want the drawer system in your truck, but you do want some storage capability in the bed of your truck, you should check out the new toolbox that they have put together that just takes up that front part of your bed space. Uh, it's, they've got all kinds of cool gadgetry on. It's got a ladder that you can get into it. It's super tough. You can't break into it. It's waterproof. It's got it's got all kinds of great features, and you should go you should go check it out. It's also if you're driving one of those really super long bed pickup trucks there's a way to configure it with in addition to the drawer system so if you want to run both of them concurrently in the same truck you can do that if you've got a certain length of bed and a certain type of configuration so you can get everything that you want you can get the toolbox and you can get the and you can get the, the drawer system so if you are a contractor or hunter or an outdoor aficionado like myself of any type where you're constantly doing different things. You're going overlanding, you're going camping, you're going to the range to go shooting and go train. You're going to go hunting. Whatever it is, these systems are amazing because they offer all kinds of great storage systems. They've got drop-in boxes, they've got soft-sided like hard and soft cases. They've got it all. So go over to DECT.com and give them a like, give them a follow. I think they're decked USA on, uh, on the gram. So go if you've never heard of them before, and you are any of the above that I just described, go check them out and see for yourself. Great product. Highly, highly recommend. Okay, well, that takes care of that. Uh, Next guest of the podcast, Susan Piper of Demos Collective fame. We sit down with her and talk about her her journey and her adventure. So pull up your favorite beverage, whatever that is, if it's a beer or if it's a cup of coffee, because you're just arriving to work or getting ready to go to work in the morning, and let's fucking G O. Well, here we are.
1: Good. I feel like we're about to take off. You know, maybe in a single prop plane or a tail dragger.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, haven't you? You haven't done podcasts with the with the headset thing on. No. So I like the headset because it like gets you in the mode. Number it does. one. does. And then plus it helps you like uh, for editing and quality of audio if you're like if you're more contained and you don't have sometimes those big boom mics unless you've got like a nice studio that you're in where yeah. you've got like sound dampening acoustic tiles or whatever in the in the room like the audio's terrible. Like I have friends that like do the portable setup like yes. I do, but then they just have the mic stands that just sit out and yeah. like you pick up like a ton of background noise from everything else going on in the room. So that's why I kind of like the head the headset things. This is cool. It's, pref- it's my preferred method.
1: Yeah, look at you. Wow. Yeah. Very this is cool.
0: like what I call the cargo pocket setup here. So okay. So you just it's lightweight and easy to travel with.
1: It's good. Okay, well,
0: we are here in the new Demos headquarters here in Salt Lake.
1: Yeah, yeah. right on. Happy yeah, yeah. to have you here, Brian.
0: Yeah, thank you for uh, for the invite to come down, and thanks for being on the podcast. I appreciate it.
1: I really appreciate you having me. I feel honored.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to, I, I really want to diversify my guest list, you know, because the, the, the um, kind of the, I would say the um, vertical that my podcast falls in is within the like vetrepreneur, veteran law enforcement community. And it's like, you know, it's pretty heavily male dominated. And so like a majority of my guests, I like, I like to get people on and have them talk about their military career. And then also their, you know, how they transitioned out of the military and got into their new, whatever their new endeavor in life is. And so I've noticed that it's been a trend of my, you know, fellow podcasters that are in that same vertical as They have a lot of male guests on all the time. Yeah. And so the, one of the things I love about Joe Rogan's podcast is he does a great job diversifying his guest content, where one day you've got a comedian on, the next day it's a UFC fighter, the next day it's a astrophysicist. You know, So that's why, you know I'm trying to do a better job at like who, who I'm you know putting on the cast to, to help mix it up because I do have I actually have a very uh, cult following of female listeners who, and some of which they message me, on a regular basis. And they're like, yeah, great podcast. Or they like give me recommendations on, you know, people. And so I'm trying to do a better job with, with this going into 22. So we just started doing podcasts, uh, this last July and we did my, myself and my producer Kate Ope did, we did a, almost a year's worth of podcasts in five months. So, wow. Yeah. So we, we got after it. And so this year, um, I'm excited going into 22, but we're, we're going to keep cranking. So awesome. You and I met a while back. So why don't you take a minute, introduce yourself, talk about who you are, what you do, and then we'll just and then back us into your journey and how you went from Harvard Business School to shovel maker.
1: <laughs> yeah. All right. Hello, everybody. My name is Susan Piper. I am the founder and CEO of Demos Collective Inc., otherwise known as Demos Pro Shovel Tools. And my company Demos Um, is the uh, maker of the most uh, performance-driven shovels ever for off-road, overland, car, and truck. And you may ask yourself uh, what that really means, and what that really means is that we just took a totally different design approach to something as pedestrian as a shovel, and we decided to make it super durable portable, packable, and rackable, as well as full size. So sort of the trifecta at that intersection becomes a performance shovel. So it's always at hand, never in the way, all season, all terrain. So it's gear that you can rely on. And it relates a lot to my story about being, uh, for a long time, kind of while working and having a pretty interesting career prior to starting Demos, I was a sailor for 20 years, sailed over 10,000 ocean miles, um, and was a skipper on um, multiple deliveries, including one back from Hawaii to the mainland. And I just know a thing or two about um, outfitting a gear for a major offshore passage, and be- and having gear in your in your boat uh, that you can rely on that is also uh, portable and stowable. So it struck me uh, because I'm also a mom. Um, so that's a whole other story of how I ended up doing all this while being a mom and having four kids that, um, shovels today, my kid was just this digger. It's kind of a strange story, but he was a digger in snow and in dirt. Like while he was like in middle, middle school, like while other kids were like video gaming or like reading, you know, you get these kids that play chess and stuff. Well, my kid was the digger and he was always sending it. Um, and so he, he, brought all the lawn and garden tools out of the yard in Teton Pass where our house was located and was building jumps and then would leave them in the, in the, in the, basically in the lawn or in the snow. And I remember just thinking someone should build um, a full size and portable tool for people like him to do what he's doing, but he ought to be able to carry it. So our company really started with a single invention that at the time was called the kicker tool. We were known as being like the kicker tool people in the world. And I was known by snowboarders and skiers like you know it was like I was like famous that way and um, it's a really funny start to me um, and today now we're you know really a very major player in our category we created our category and we're at SEMA so it's been one heck of a ride and just really happy to be here and you know, uh, we're here in Salt Lake. We moved the business down here from Wyoming, where it was where it was born. And we got a little retail showroom. If you're ever in town, you want to come by and see us. You know, we love our guests and we love to have visitors. So, I think that's my introduction.
0: Yeah, that's a great. That's a great. That's that's an amazing uh, intro. So, I would say the uh, you and I met in Jackson, and I think it's funny that you know we both have kind of had these parallel paths with our companies where. You have, you know, come down here to Salt Lake for the same reason that I've come down here to Salt Lake, which is to help basically streamline your business and help streamline your uh, production on your, on your products. Yeah. Uh, I love Wyoming to death and I will always, you know, I I own property there. I will always have a place in Wyoming. And realistically, I always had this desire to build a Wyoming based company, but it is next to impossible, especially on the side of the state we live in. There's, like, literally no industrial capability exactly. at all on that side of the state. So,
1: And you know I tried to do that, too. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's what we were like-minded around, yeah. is that I was so convinced that I wanted to basically create employment in that state and, you know, have this kind of cool outdoor brand, gear brand, and grow it there, create jobs, and really be a job creator. Right. Um, and even moved out of Fancy Jackson down to Star Valley to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I found is that the broader ish- issues of uh, the housing shortage, not even just imp- workforce housing, I'm just talking housing shortage, right. no single family home starts, basically, have made it such that, you know, um, I-, I just couldn't, in that environment, create a company where there'd be no houses for people to even rent. I mean, yeah. nothing.
0: Yeah, it's it's very, very difficult. And everybody that I talk to I had a meeting at Rotary one time and talked to a bunch of people at Rotary and uh, talked to other business owners in the valley. And they're like, hey, the biggest thing that you're up against is going to be housing mm-hmm. for people. Like, yes, it's not hard to grow a company in this in this valley because there is demand. You know, being in a small mountain environment like that, there is lots of opportunity for entrepreneurialism in terms of like services and products for the valley. Uh, but there's just no... There's no place for people to live. So you yeah. can grow, you can have these ideas of growing a company as, as big as you want. But in, if you don't have a place where people can go hang their hat and, you know, relax on their sofa at night after they're done working, like there's, if there, there's no roofs to go over anybody's heads. You're not going to grow. It takes, it takes people to run businesses. So yeah. And operate businesses. So if you can't, if you don't have a place to put your people, you're, there's no, there's no way you're going to grow a company.
1: I know. I know. So, so, yeah, we pulled uh, we pulled up roots and just moved down here in the middle of October, as you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're super happy here from the standpoint that, you know, we have incredible space. We love our warehouse. You know, it's minutes to downtown and to the airport. I love the fact that people are coming to see us. I mean, we've only been here like eight weeks, you know, and like, we're already hosting you and, right. you know, we've got some other buyers coming in and we've got overlanders and customers are coming in and buying stuff. And it's it just feels so good to sort of be a part of something. Yeah, um, You know, Wyoming can get very lonely because it is um, a lot of people who are second home or on vacation or kind of coming through and they're really busy, you know, they're just there for their vacation or whatever, and just kind of can't catch up with people. And it's, it's a tough place to live for sure.
0: It's a tough place to live but it's also it's excru- excruciating to start a business there. So the I I love Wyoming too. And part of the reason too that it is it's the least populated state in the union which people don't don't realize that they're, Yeah. They're, we do. Yeah. <laughs> we do. And it's one of the reasons I love it. I just, do too. Yeah, I know. Yeah, there's no there's no, <laughs> there's traffic. no question. Yeah, no there's traffic no question. No traffic getting in and out of Star Valley. So no. yeah, I do I do love it there. And we'll eventually I'm, I'm pretty sure we'll have an office of some type there at some point to have a footprint there. We'll probably run our oper- – not our operations. We'll probably run – that'll probably be our like, headquarters and mainly, like, our branding marketing hub because, um, I mean, that valley – I mean, Star Valley and uh, Teton area are absolutely remarkable. And, you know, the world-class access that you get to the backcountry out there and then the I the know. hunting – and the fishing and the rafting and, and the,
1: the off-roading
0: and the off-roading, yes.
1: I mean, it just goes on and on. Yes, you know we filmed our Kickstarter on the Palisades Reservoir. Yes, you know that we jumped our Forerunner.
0: I didn't see the jump, but yes, I know what you're talking yes, about. Yes, yeah. we. I did. saw a quick blurb of that, and I, d- I don't know if I watched the whole thing, but. Because um, I think it was just in passing on... Some, I think it was on Luke's cell phone. He was like, hey, check this out. And yeah. I looked at it for a second. I was like, oh, I recognize that area. And he's like, yeah, we, so it was up in around the lake. Yeah,
1: so. yeah, yeah. We purposefully got a, a vehicle stuck there just in the filming of the Delta Shovel mm-hmm. product launch video. Yeah. And, like, it was just awesome. You know, some, some, uh, some, some people you would know helped us out with that shoot. And, you know, it was more fun than I've ever had in a day at work. Like, it was probably my most fun day ever where, you know, we were going fast mm-hmm. coming in hot to a vehicle that we got stuck mm-hmm. to stage the rescue you know demos to the rescue of <laughs> this truck that was like axle deep in mud on the palisades reservoir mm-hmm. i mean you can't have more fun than this no uh, which is, and i mean like it was for like work you know yep. but it was like so fun <laughs> yeah
0: and what's great is we didn't have to pull any per- you didn't have to pull any permits for that no. you didn't have to no ask anybody's permission no yeah, that's what i love about it was state. amazing yeah so then you and I ran into each other again at this last Overland Expo.
1: Correct. Yeah. I think it was at West. Yes. We were also at Mountain West, but it was at West.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I was in uh, it was down in Flagstaff. So, and that was the first year I've been to that show, and I was really excited to go. I've wanted to go for a couple of years now. I've been really interested in overlanding for a long time.
1: I mean, I've seen your tundra size, so I know. Yes, so yeah, it's <laughs> it's it, out front. It I is. know it's a work in progress. It's a work you got to get pro deal on all yeah. of that. Yes, <laughs>
0: yeah, it's gonna get it's gonna be it's gonna be better. I'm gonna get I'm gonna replace the rear bumper because the rear bumper uh, seen better days and there's better stuff out there. And then I'm going to put one of the problems with having a uh, a Gen Two Tundra is that. Not a lot of people make cool right. stuff for it, and I want. I wanted a swing gate. I wanted a swing gate bumper on it because I love what they do. And so I went down the road. I went over to our friends over at CBI, and I was like, "Hey, can you guys do that?" And they just looked at me like I had a unicorn dick coming out of my forehead because yeah. they were like, "You were not gonna stop our production to no. to R and D no. a special bumper for a Gen two Tundra." So I was like, "Okay," because I wanted the I wanted that dual swing bumper that they make for the. Um, For the Tacomas and for the Forerunners. I had it on my
1: Forerunner. It was a CBI one.
0: Yeah. it's That is, I love that setup where you can flip that open and it locks and then it's got the fold down tables on it. It just makes it so handy for like when you're back there, if you want to cook or you want to work on gear or. I used it for
1: fly fishing. I was like where I'd always like, like lay everything out, Mm -hmm. you know?
0: Yeah. It's a, it was a great piece of gear. Well, nobody makes that for, for Gen 2 Tundra, except for, I found a company, Rigged Supply. Yep. And they make a hitch receiver swing gate bumper with the tables and all of the extra goodies on it and the tire carrier and all the things that I wanted to do. And I was like, how brilliant is that? Now it does not matter what generation or what brand my vehicle is. I can just take this, plug it into the hitch receiver. And what's nice about it is it goes in the hitch receiver and then it just has that, uh, it has another hitch receiver capability so you're you're not losing your towing capability Mm. you can still throw your ball hitch on there Mm -hmm. and tow stuff and it's not going to affect that's amazing
1: that's 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 a great product
0: yeah so i'm going to end up replacing my rear bumper i'm going to throw that that uh hitch receiver adapter on there with the with the dual swing gate on Mm -hmm. it and i'm going to use i'm going to use that and i'm going to hang on to this i don't know you uh, you know this you establish like a uh with the vehicle you get an emotional attachment to it especially when you like work on it and you modify it and you take it from the dealership. And then you start making it your own and you put like all the goodies on it, you know? Yeah. And, and so I've had this truck for a really long time and I looked at the cost variable between like getting a new truck, going in on a new truck or getting a, uh, or modifying what I, what I already had and just getting parts and putting it on there. And I was just like, I basically spending an extra 50 grand if I go get a new truck. Yeah. So I was like, let's just, modify this because it still runs like a Swiss watch, which is what I love about Toyotas is they just run and run and run and run, which I experienced from my time in Afghanistan, you know, which is kind of like where my, I mean, I've, I've been doing the truck camping thing since I was a kid. Like Mm -hmm. we would throw stuff in the back of our trucks and we would go camping Mm -hmm. when I was a kid and you know, we'd pull up, we'd off-road out to someplace, pull up, you know, set up our tent next to the truck on the ground and get out the cooler and get out the camp chairs and build a fire ring. And that was, I guess, overlanding back in the day. Mm-hmm. And then when I was in Afghanistan, we kept breaking our Humvees, like destroying our Humvees because they were overweighted from the armor packages. And so they were, mm-hmm. were constantly, you know, breaking transmission parts and drivetrain and like suspension. Everything was constantly breaking because they were way overweighted. And they just did not do well in the terrain of the Hindu Kush. So we imported Hiluxes and some Tacomas from the United States and then started rigging them out. Like we put ceramic armor kits on them. So they were lightweight and we still had some protection. We put, you know, good suspension kits on them. We put mud terrains on, you know, BF Goodrich mud terrains to save the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, cause those were in the government system really easy for us to order. Mm-hmm. And then we put ARB bumpers on them. And then we did a lot of welding of our like own racks and stuff for the beds to put ammo in, to put water in, to put extra gas cans in medical supplies, recovery gear, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. And that was like back in 2007 through 2010. And so that was kind of like where, I mean, overlanding, combat overlanding came in, came into play for me. And then, you know, my last deployment was in 2010 and I got into doing design work and doing firearms training for law enforcement and for military. And over time I'd moved to Jackson and I, I was running around Jen, Jenny Lake and I popped out uh, like on this one spot of the trail where the trail's really close to the road on the east side of the lake. And here comes this sand colored Tacoma. And that sand color is the same color that we used to have on our trucks in Afghanistan. So it comes speeding by and I like looked at it and I was like, whoa. I thought it was a military vehicle at first because I'd never seen that sand color before. It was like 2016. It was the first year they ever did sand color. Yeah. And I was like, whoa. And it was it was rigged out. He He had it lifted and he had like cool bumpers on it and uh, there was a cool rack thing that he had on the bed and uh, a roof rack he had a roof rack on it of some type and the way it was rigged out when it drove by like gave me a moment of pause because I was like holy shit is there are there units up here training or like did where 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 did this come from because it looked like one of my operational vehicles that I'd used in Afghanistan like six years before and I was like wow and then that's when I started noticing the overlanding thing start to take root product-wise here in the United States. And then people started doing like more and more and more stuff to their vehicles. And I was like, wow, this is becoming an industry and a market and it's taking off here. And it's just exploded in the last, what is it, eight years now?
1: Yeah, easily. Yeah, yeah. maybe more. I mean, I we've been going to Overland Expo West for four years. <laughs> but I think that the old timers talk about it being like, I don't even know, maybe 2010, 2009 when the show started. Yeah. So it's been a while. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So it's it's great. It's a it's something that, it's like a hobby in a market that I really, mm-hmm. really enjoy um, because of my history as a kid and then what I did operationally mm-hmm. in Afghanistan. And then now I'm like, and especially with like the COVID thing, you know, mm-hmm. when the lockdowns happened in 20 and like everybody got caught with their pants down in the middle of this crazy pandemic thing that, you know, and we were facing all of these new adverse things that Americans mm-hmm. were not used to. I really took a look at my, and I'm somebody that like stays at a certain level of readiness. Um, Like I always have medical gear. I always have a little extra food and water. I always have my firearms ready to go. Like I always have things like that. But then to be put in a situation where like you might need to bug out, you know, because I was living in the Pacific Northwest at the time and like Mm -hmm. the things were went, went cuckoo down in Portland and there was crazy things happening and That's when, and then things started happening in Seattle. And so I was kind of like in between this, like I was in this weird bubble in between all of this craziness and chaos that was going on. And I really took a hard look at my level of readiness and what I'm truly prepared for if there's a crazy emergency and I need to bug out and go live in the woods for two weeks. And so that was kind of the catalyst for me being like, all right, I've wanted to build out my truck for a long time and I've put it off and put it off and put it off. So I'm not going to put it off anymore. And I then took a look at the cost of, you know, doing my own vehicle or I mean doing a new vehicle and fixing that up versus just fixing that up and I elected to hang on to my truck and fix it up and it's had some challenges but uh, I've I'm I like where it's at right now and it's mm-hmm. gonna continue to get some more cool features put I, on. I videoed it. your build. Oh, okay cool. It's gonna be on I, our okay. it's gonna be on our <laughs> okay. stories later. I, uh, so awesome. I love it. I awesome. think you have a great build. Thank you. I you know, it. it's
1: interesting because you know I just flipped a build. And Your and, forerunner. Yeah. Yeah and, and I mean uh, for your listeners um you have to understand that um before I started demos you know I'd been a sailor but like you know um turns out I was married for a long time so my ex-husband always picked all the cars and mm. I just didn't like his taste you know he was sort of Subaru WRX and you know like I had like always like soccer mom cars like mm-hmm. I think my last car was like a Lexus 450 RXh and um, that's the elite of the soccer mom. It's an elite. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, George was an executive, you <laughs> know, like whatever. Anyway, the thing is, is that I had no truck and um, <laughs> I never had a truck. And I remember in 2015 uh, getting divorced and going out and trading in the Lexus RX 450 H for the Toyota TRD Pro 4Runner in that metallic gray. And I mean, I never felt so badass in my life. I was so happy. I was playing music so loud as I drove away from that dealership. And so you can imagine that to sell that vehicle was really hard. Hmm. But I want to tell you and your listeners that I think that it was the right thing to do. And I'm really excited about doing more builds. And actually, you know, a lot of people, um, I think, can share their experience um, through like YouTube videos. Mm -hmm. And I probably think that it would be really helpful for a lot of women to basically see how I would approach a build and talk about it and think about it because um, I think that um, while I definitely have a preparedness edge to the way I think about being able to go camping and live off the grid, I also have an edge around like where I keep my yoga mat and where I keep my, you know, grocery bags and, you know, sort of I'm still... You know, I'm still throwing dinner parties while I'm also still taking my vehicle off road for, you know, uh, rock landing trips with my friends. Um, So I'm really excited to do another build. And I made mistakes with my build that I felt were, were irreparable. And it was, I mean, I did my best, right? You know, but I added, you and I were talking about this, I added a lot of rock crawling body armor Mm -hmm. to my build and it's a you know the forerunner's a v6 engine and it had i think it was 245 uh uh, horse um so not that strong of an engine and when you start to add more weight to Mm -hmm. a forerunner you just really depower it and it got to the point that when i would you know play so i've done also four rebel rallies and when i took that out for trainings and i would try to climb sand dunes my vehicle didn't have enough torque and i would i was gonna have to regear it Mm-hmm. and get more low low gear range to be able to climb sand dunes and it got so heavy with all the body armor and I really don't need the body armor for camping so I think that yeah so i I went ahead and parted with it and I've got a brand new van and I'm going to be building out the van but at the same time my daily driver now is a uh, 2017 Jeep JK Willys with 35s on it which is a great rock crawling vehicle it was purpose-built, like it's, it's like the spec vehicle for the Rebel Rally. And I'm not doing the Rebel Rally in 2022. So I've just been thinking a lot about like, I've got this bug now and I'm like, I really want to build a truck for camping. Um, You know, the van is really for work and also for um, any of your listeners that, that are gearheads like I am I have a lot of other sports that are not just overlanding so you know I'm a snowboarder I'm a mountain biker you know I do cli- I climb and camp and so to be able to bring like four bikes with me on a trip is like my my normal trip is four bikes and climbing climbing gear and camping gear and that sort of starts to uh, be hard to bring in a truck even one that's built out for camping so people who are really bikers always get vans yes so that's the way the van is in my life yes Bikes don't always have to come. If I'm on trail, I want a truck, I think. So we'll see. Yeah. But I just am really interested in sharing now how I approach a build. So, you know, um, you'll see that that's going to be a big part of, like, kind of a side part of Demos is that we not only make recovery gear, but, like, you know, I am really involved in, like, working with our partners on, you know, who have best of breed gear and, and bringing a vehicle, uh, a really nice vehicle build to shows. So
0: let me ask you this, because this is something that I talked about in depth with Jillian Rebecca.
1: Yes, whom whom I just met at West as well.
0: Yeah, she's a phenomenal human. She's one of my favorite people. So we had a really great podcast. And I love what she's doing from, like, organizing female athletes in a male-dominated sport and empowering them and taking them out on trail and showing them the ropes from all of her lessons learned. I think it's great. One of the things that we talked about in depth was... Uh, a lack of you know experientially driven training for new people getting into the sport like what is your take because it's one of the things that I did a recon at 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 the expo and I didn't I know that they had the expo had their own classes that you could take like do. that's right you can get the deluxe package when you buy your tickets and you can get like on-site camping and then you can get whatever classes that you that they have available
1: recovery and You know, some driving classes and stuff like that. Right. That's right.
0: And they had that offered through the expo. But I have yet to see a really good training company, like you see in firearms. Mm -hmm. Like you, I mean, in my industry, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a pistol and carbine instructor uh, that's been to combat. And, but in the overlanding space, I I have yet to see somebody really push forward, like come take this class type situation, you know, where they host classes at a certain place to cover, you know, like... Building buildouts for you know beginners or like you know projects on like how to wire up your your own lights or you know things to look out for when you're doing your build like you described where you like you didn't know any better and you like over armored your vehicle and you know kind of cut the balls off of it in terms of performance so
1: exactly and so, and I wouldn't do it again yeah. yeah
0: so how do you feel or what have you seen in terms of like education because I think it would be great for you to based on what you've just said to like start you know with your marketing probably offer a uh, an education component like via your media channels to start educating people like this. And I told Jillian the same thing, and she thought it was a really great idea mm-hmm. as well with her platform and what she's got going on because I, I don't see anybody doing it.
1: I don't either. No, I don't yeah. either. Um, so there are definitely – I mean, I, so I'm, I've done four Rebel Rallies, um, and there are definitely friends of mine through the Rebel Rally who do, for example, sand and uh, sand driving courses – Um, My good friend, Nina Barlow, who was just acknowledged at SEMA this year, runs Jeep rental businesses in Sedona and in Moab called Barlow Adventures. And then alongside that does a lot of drive instruction training out in Glamis. Hmm. Um, And then um, my friends, Ken Cameron and Christopher Walker, are partners in 7P Overland out of Eagle, Colorado. And then uh, Chris is up in uh, Vancouver, B.C., and they run courses. Um, And so the people who, the women who are lucky enough to sign up for the Rebel, get kind of tapped into a network of instructors that focus on mostly, you know, sand driving and I would say recovery, because sand driving is tricky. And um, yeah. Uh,
0: so I think it's great that you've done the Rebel. So p- tell everybody, for those listening that don't know, what is the Rebel?
1: Okay, so the Rebel Rally is a, it, it's it's a mouthful. So let's just break it down for a second. I'm going to say it, and then I'll come back and break it down. So it is an endurance off-road Navigation rally raid. So let's break that down. So, an endurance event, you guys all know that, like, if you're, uh, you know, the Ironman is an endurance event. Multi stage. Correct. Yeah. Multi stage yeah. and endurance, meaning that it's going to challenge you physically because it's going to take, you know, so much time. So, a lot of off road, or I'm sorry, a lot of ocean races, you know, <laughs> Volvo Ocean Race is an endurance event, whereas the America's Cup is not. That's just like a day, you know, it's a leg. So, uh, this is an endurance event. It is eight days. Seven days scored. And uh, so that is, and you're competing for seven days. Endurance. Off-road. It is, it's amazing. It covers basically, uh, the founders of the Rebel Rally have gotten permits through uh, BLM and Forest Service lands and some national parks actually in California and Nevada. And it covers 1,200 miles. So, and it's almost all off-road. I mean, there are very short, like short, very short, maybe 15, 20-minute segments where you're on tarmac, but you're connected to all off-road networks. Mm. So that's pretty cool too. And then I said it was a navigation rally raid. And what that means is that it's not just wheel-to-wheel racing, you know, like the Baja 1000 or, uh, or even, uh, it's even like the Dakar, I think, which is much more speed. This is about precision navigation. So it is only map and compass. There's no GPS. You have no phone. You have no communication to the outside world. It's just you and your partner in a car um, off-road and you win by collecting as many checkpoints as you can get. And the checkpoints are very difficult to find, even though the green, there's sort of three different kinds of checkpoints. There's sort of easy, medium, just like ski runs, Mm -hmm. green, blue, black. So, you know, green, you know, you're like, oh yeah, we've got that. I mean, there's still some greens that, you know, there's just not always a gimme. And, um, and blues are marked, but the markers can be very small. Um, and then blacks aren't marched. There's no geo mark. There's no mark. There's a geo fence around a, uh, virtual point on the terrain. So you don't see it. You need to know where you are Mm. and then you take that point. So, and this year I'm super happy because I've been working on this from like, I mean, like next to nothing. Like I thought it since I was a sailor, like I would get this. I was like, Oh, I, I can navigate. Well, let me tell you something. There are no, uh, like the amount of precision on the ocean is not, anything like this i mean if you are trying to you know get to hawaii it's fairly gross navigation around like getting to hawaii like you can get pretty close and then you kind of see the islands and then you point your boat in that direction it's not terribly precise um but to uh to do the rebel the mountain navigation i mean it's a hundred thousand scale map that is specifically printed that has no road signs on it um like roads major roads are removed Um, I mean, it is very, very detailed. Like, it's like, is this geo point east or west of that gully by how many meters, (laughs) you know, like you got to know, you've got to be within like 50 meters.
0: And so then what is the, what's the timeline? Like, do they have cutoffs? Is it like, uh, where they, they set a cutoff if if you don't make it to a certain checkpoint, you're out of the race. You've
1: probably got, you know, so if it's 1200 miles, you know, um, I mean, let's say it's 1,400 miles, so it's about 200 miles a day, roughly, Um, and you might get 10 or 10 and a half hours to do that in. Um, And you are also limited, uh, you're only given a certain amount of time based on when you're off the line or when you start in terms of when you get your maps that day and can begin your prep. So that way everybody has the same amount of time to prepare based on when they go off the line. Um, and then in the evening, you're only given a certain amount of time to work on your vehicle because you have to do all your own mechanical. So when you come across the line at night, you know, if you need to change your air filter, air up, air down, you know, if anything, um, you know, if anything was loose or you need to repair it, you have to, you only have like an hour to, to do your repairs. Um, so you don't have to carry like a TIG jig welder. You know, they have a mechanics on site who have tools. You bring your own tools, but they have, you know, sort of like, let's just say like a sawzall or Mm -hmm. a, you know, welder, like you're not going to carry that. So if you needed any of that, that would be available. And there would be people there who would look over and make sure you're not going to like do anything stupid to your vehicle. For the most part, they will also help you once you talk about the problem with them and say what you, and, and you request what you need to have done. So hmm. you need to drive the repair of your vehicle um, and uh, d- and do most things within reason on your own. And then
0: what, so what does that look like for sleep? How how much sleep do you get?
1: So, you know, um, usually um, dinner might be served around seven and, you know, people are like, uh, like, like you can't, they, they generally don't want you to be up before five, but, People who do really well in the Rebel Rally are almost always up before five. They're up at like four or four thirty. So most people are sort of going to sleep between nine and nine thirty and getting up at four or four thirty.
0: Okay. And then you guys just you get your you get to your stage. You do all these repairs. You get some food. Gets get get to sleep. You got to pitch your tent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then the next morning you get up. You've got to
1: th- break down your ca- your tent. Yep. You got to rush into the ta- the the major you know the big tent the yep. base camp, and get your maps. Get your headlamp on. Get your, you know, get your rulers and your compass out and your plotter and a calculator and start working on stuff. So there is a a very high percentage of the time you are plotting on a map. GPS coordinates, they can be mixed between decimal minutes or minute seconds. Um, And then the other part of the time you're doing enduros. And enduros are... You're probably familiar with a road book, a traditional European style en- re- enduro, which is you're following a road book of tulips, and you're reading the tulips, and like, oh, at this, you know, at you know 0.76 kilometers, you you know bear to the right, and there's a little, you know, a little bush on the left. That's like reading a tulip. But in the rebel, you need to have timed enduros as well. So there's a prescribed average speed, and of course, you can never drive exactly the prescribed average speed because you're usually starting at a certain time, and you're not immediately up to tempo. So you, the driver has to Uh, be counting down the time to come across a control, and you don't know where the control is, on time to get points. Mm. So it's super fun.
0: Yeah, it sounds super technical.
1: Yeah, it's super technical, super fun, um, and I am so grateful to be part of, we call it Tribe Rebel, Mm -hmm. and, um, and it's a great group of, you know, basically the Emily Miller and the team that founded the Rebel are just amazing human beings, Um, You know, she herself is such a rock star, you know, a multiple time, you know, uh, podium finisher in the Baja 1000 and has won the Dakar rally, like I think without a partner. And I mean, she's just legendary She's trained by Rod Hall and uh, Jimmy Lewis and Chris Wu and Chris Beavis, like their whole kind of technical team. Um, just has a really deep bench, you know, all super strong bios and great human beings. And then, you know, people who sign up for the rebel, like the fellow competitors are just people you really want to hang out with because most people who say yes and want to send it with that type of an event, you know, they're fun people.
0: Right. And so how many times have you raced it? Four. Four. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. While running a business. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, that's challenging. And
1: uh, and the rebel is always in October, and we have a very strong you know holiday season and winter winter season. And so that's been um, I've been completely offline for like two weeks in October prior to each kind of Christmas holiday season. Yeah, which is in and of itself fairly burly because com- I come back and you know I'm a little tired and and yet you know it's like you got to really send it around um, you know all of our holiday campaigns.
0: Yes. Yes. Awesome. Okay. So then let's back up. Let's get in the time machine, go backwards. You graduated from Harvard business school, right? Yes. Okay. And then where did you go from that? Like, how did you wind up in Jackson hole? <laughs> well, <laughs> cause I'm a little confused. Cause there's like boats and there's ocean and then there's Harvard business school. And then there's now.
1: Yeah, I know. I know. And you guys, I mean, for those listeners, I just want you to know that most people go to harvard business school like they work in like you know finance private equity and stuff <laughs> and so they just don't have shovel companies and so you guys might be like what happened to you you know but um you know i think the thing is is that uh okay so we call it, so a lot of people are like whoa what's your journey from harvard harvard to hardware and i think that the journey really was that i had a fantastic career in, um, in, in, you know, postgraduate school, in post MBA, in a lot of the traditional industries where people go who have those types of degrees. So I worked in tech for about, I don't know, seven or eight years and had four different startups in tech and had a couple of exits. And, um, but they were never like my deal, you know, so I was in San Francisco and I always gravitated to, you know, building new businesses and new products. And I love that. Um, and this was always like kind of business services. So, again, programming, but design uh, from that angle. And then um, from a personal standpoint, my ex-husband and I decided to move to back east to the New York area. And, you know, um, what's big in New York is finance. So I went from tech into finance. But, again, you know, with an MBA and stuff, like that's what people do. Like it's fine. Yeah, I know, we got that. So I went back into investment banking, and I also was a hedge fund recruiter, and I worked with a lot of different private equity firms recruiting their investment professionals as well. So I generated investment deal ideas for inve- in, in investment banking and put executives and finan- uh, capital providers like together and worked with all these big hedge funds and you know private equity firms. And what I really began to do was realize that I was on the wrong side of the table. So I was recruiter talking to people who were investing, you know, their portfolio. So whatever, you know, $100 million to $300 million consumer, you know, long, short equity portfolio, whatever. And I realized that I could do that job. But I also really saw myself as a, like a Warren Buffett type of investor. Like I wanted to build a great company from the ground up. And so in investment banking, there are people who do that. You know, not all private equity firms, like, kind of go in and, like, you know, layer companies with debt. Not everybody is raiders at the gate, like, you know, back in the old day with KKR. Nowadays, there's a lot of value private equity firms that will, like, go in and take, like, a distressed asset and, like, buy it and bring back that brand with a value creation executive. And I got so excited about that that I basically sort of saw uh, this crazy shovel idea as an opportunity to do that again myself. Like I was just like, well, damn, I'm gonna invest on me. Now, the level that I've been working at does not necessarily play to my skill set because like I have big ideas and it's awfully hard to move the dial with big ideas all day long when I'm faced with um production and supply chain same ch- chain supply chain challenges just in the production of our main line. So Where I get excited is I've kind of done a lot of value creation because, I mean, like, we created a product from nothing. We created a whole product category that never existed. So I'm very proud of that. But I think there's further to go in terms of sort of the big ideas and systems thinking and systems and product thinking and um, pairing capital providers with talent is kind of my favorite thing. Um, and doing right is kind of my favorite thing. Like how you treat, you know, the company culture and the people and really can build something of value. Like I always think I want to build something that Warren Buffett would want to invest in. And so I guess that's how it kind of all comes together. Is there just a certain point where I was just on the wrong side of the table in my career and I just said, fuck it. Good. I I want want to get on the right side of the table.
0: I want to know about that moment where you were like, realize that you were dying inside.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, I was in New York. Yeah. I was well paid. Yeah. I was wearing limousine shoes. I mean, I just want your readers to know that I wear cowgirl boots almost all the time now. I have flannel shirts on, and I mean I used to be a Prada wearing limousine shoe wearing like recruiter on Park Avenue. The you double, know? The double like wears in a limousine. Prada. Yeah. I mean, like that that was like me. It was crazy. No one would recognize me. So at what point
0: did you realize that wasn't for you anymore? <clears throat> okay, so where was Pers- the personal,
1: personal and professional things uh, have been, it's been quite a ride. So, you know, I was, I was married for 20 years and my ex-husband and I were really, um, really good. Like we were successful together at like, just like, I don't know, just having a life, having a scene, you know, like with our kids and stuff. And so it got to a point where after financial crisis, um, he took a job in Tokyo. So I actually ended up leaving my investment banking job. Which I don't think I would have left, like in New York, because I was—I like I loved my colleagues there. We had fun, and then um, moving to Tokyo, where I thought. Because I was like, well, I can figure anything out. And I was like, well, I'll just generate deal ideas in Asia. Well, I was in Tokyo, and I couldn't even speak Japanese, and I had no knowledge of Japanese companies. So I ended up kind of getting sidelined for three years in Tokyo. My job then was to be an Ashtanga yoga instructor. So not very many people you know who are Harvard and shovel, shovel companies and have been yoga instructors, but I made money that way. And then it was time to move back, and my ex and I decided to move to Jackson Hole, And we kind of did that more as, like, people do, like, hey, let's just take a year in, like, a ski town and just, like, you know, like, let's just see what that's like. Mm. And we ended up really um, liking it. And uh, probably I liked it a little bit more than he did because I'm still out and I still have property in Wyoming and he doesn't anymore. But um, I think that it was, like, when I got to Jackson. I just was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What happened? Mm -hmm. You know, like I just been spun around like I'm in Japan. I have like no job. I'm in Jackson. Like, what the hey, what am I doing? And Mm -hmm. at that point, I was clear I was not going to go back to New York. I wanted I had found my place in Wyoming. Like I am someone who's very comfortable offshore. I am very comfortable in a 400 mile by 400 mile state with no people and like making things happen. Being self-reliant. And that's when I really saw like who I was could be represented like in this gear brand. And it's like, I was just like, well, it's now or never. Like what? You're going to go back to New York? No. Like do it. So I did. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. It makes absolute sense. <clears throat> and what I think is funny is Wyoming sucks, people. Don't come there. Um. <laughs> least populated state we just got 70 inches of snow in like five days up there so <clears throat> if that doesn't sound good to you then you should probably not even show up uh <laughs> so there you were having this epiphany about not uh, going you know back. it
1: was a lot of glory yeah. bowl like i would go up glory bowl mm-hmm. and be like oh my god this is my life i yeah. need to do something i need yeah. to do something big
0: <laughs> yeah well i think you do the same thing that a lot of People do that. There's something magic about that valley that you gravitate to and it grabs you. It does. It changed me. Yeah. It's true. It's it's a powerful, powerful thing. I remember the first time I saw the valley was I was 11 years old because uh, I grew up in Casper. Okay. About four hours east yep. of there. And so yep. what happened was my stepdad's company had a Christmas party that they do annually. And so they won tickets. Mm-hmm. My family won three-day ski tickets to the village. Yep. So... Uh, at the Christmas party. So we load up, we drive up there, and I'd never been in mountains like that before where mm-hmm. we are driving over Togity Pass, and that particular season, the snowfall was like the sticks, the orange sticks that they attached to the markers on the side of the road to give it like an extra four or five feet were barely sticking out of the snow. It was like we were driving through a snow tunnel yeah, the yeah. whole time. Like you literally couldn't see yeah. out past like the the snow drifts on the side of the road were literally eight or nine feet tall. Yes. And so we're driving up there in the family station wagon and I was just mesmerized by the fact that we're driving through this ice snow tunnel for uh, for hours. And so then we get to this spot and I remember I was, you know, just starting to figure out that I was like, I was just hitting puberty, I think, and getting a little antisocial with my family. So I was the one all the way in the back of yeah. the station wagon with the luggage. Yeah. You know, listening to my Sony Walkman. Yeah. You know, I was listening to Run DMC or whatever, and like, we go we get to this one point on the pass, and I remember my mom being like, "Oh my goodness, look!" And I turned and I looked out the front windshield, and it's that part of Togody where you. I, po-
1: I know exactly. I knew before you said this story. Yeah. The view spot. Yep. I know this view spot. I've taken yeah. a thousand pictures yeah. there. Yeah.
0: yeah. You turn. You come around that corner, yeah. and that's the first. It's the spot first spot you see where it. you can see the mountains.
1: Yeah, it, it's just mesmerizing. And
0: there's the Grand Teton. I know. And I was like you know, it was like that magic moment, like, Oh, and I was like, Oh my God, it's amazing. And I'd never seen mountains like that before. And that was the first time. And then we ended up going to the village and then hanging out there for a few days. And then I got to see the whole, got to experience the whole ski thing. And I was like, Oh wow, this is, this is amazing. And it, at at age 12, it shifted something inside of me to where when I was an adult, after my divorce in 2011, I was like, I've always wanted to be in Jackson Hole. Mm-hmm. I grew up in this state. Mm-hmm. I love that place. I've been back there a handful of times. It's magic. I'm like, I'm going to go fucking make it there. Exactly. And so I went there in 2011 and was there from 11 to 16. And the place is just, it's an abs- it's absolute magic there. And, and lots of people that I talk to that show up there have the same issue. They show up and just that magic of the valley grabs them. And then they're like, this is it for me. This yeah. is what I'm going to do. And so... I tried for six years to same thing. Try and make something happen and, and life was just difficult as an entrepreneur in that valley. Especially when you're bootstrapping with no yeah. no operating capital except for what you're pulling out of your own pocket. Exactly. And so I got to the point where I got super frustrated and burned out and then that's when I peeled off and went to design school for three years in San mm-hmm. Francisco. And now I'm like I'm back and I'm like, Okay, cool, like how am I going to make this work? Mm -hmm. And recently had the same epiphany as you, where I'm like looking around and I'm like, there's no fucking manufacturing capability in this state. I was like, I have to go, if I'm going to be a manufacturer, I have to like have industrial manufacturing capability, or I have to have millions of dollars in my pocket in order to build it in Wyoming, which that's not, that's not a great, in my opinion, that's not a great use of funds to turn around and like buy a, buy a building and fill it with like machines versus putting product out in the universe. So Come down here, set up supply chain and and manufacturing here, and get after it. But the that valley is it's absolute magic. Mm-hmm. And so you're standing there watching your son take your rakes and shovels out to the driveway and build kickers, I'm assuming, basically. Yeah, yeah, building kickers and yeah. in on in the house or in the on the property. And so then you're watching him do this. And so when was the idea? Like when was the first ideal for the shovel? Like when wh- what? when did it pop into your head
1: so um, it's kind of a i mean i got stories upon stories but it, basically the kicker tool idea was around christmas of 14 okay very you know i'd just say like you can just imagine the the parallel path here so that's the same month that i've like moved out like mm-hmm. while getting divorced like it's so awkward mm-hmm. <laughs> Good times. Right. Yeah, been there, done that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, while negotiating my divorce, the U.M.S. was incorporated in April of 2015, and we came to market in October of 15, and my divorce was finalized in December of 15. That's a lot of work. Yeah, all while being a single parent, too, you know? And so, yeah.
0: Awesome. Okay, so then your first tool, you got it. And then how did you... Um, how did you then morph that into, like, how did that product evolve? Because you probably started it with one. We started with one. So
1: we just started with, at the time, the Stealth Shovel was called the Kicker Tool. And the Kicker Tool, a.k.a. Stealth Shovel, is still used by Olympic snowboard coaches, Mm -hmm. FIS race race coaches, um, you know, I, I mean, like, Travis Rice endorsed it, you right. know, uh, Gigi De La Rue. Like, it's crazy, the reach. We were in Transworld Snowboarding, mm-hmm. Free Skier Magazine, you know, Warren Miller collab. Like, we were just, like, all over the place in ski and snowboard. Awesome. Awesome. We had one tool all over the place. The thing was that the market is just so small, you Mm -hmm. know, you kind of get dip your toe in and you're like, whoa, is this going to be, you know, is this puddle 10 inches deep? And, you know, you can see how wide it is. So that's 10 foot wide puddle, but you just don't know before you sort of dip your toe in. And really it was about a one inch deep puddle. And so for us, the challenge was, we were like, whoa, the world wants, like, it made sense to me. I was like, there are so many crappy shovel tools out there. Like the, the world wants this. Like, People Mm. buy hand tools, like left and right, and premium hand tools for all sorts of applications. Um, So I think that we began a process of asking ourselves, like, who really needs, you know, sort of the coolest purpose-built performance shovels? And so, and uh, in working with, you know, some pretty smart people, you know, some advisors, you know, people were like, well, you know, who needs it next? Big market. It's driveway shovelers. And we were like, cool, okay, So we went from a kicker tool to the Alpha Series, which was really built. We called it Denali to driveway. And um, we still make that product. And I want you to know, we still make the world's freaking best badass driveway shovel. Mm -hmm. But it's been really hard to make driveway shovels and off-road and performance shovels. Because these are all, these are like really different markets, really different creative. And oh, by the way, we make shovels that are sold to responders, defenders, and enforcers. Oh, by the way, we make shovels that are in hunting camp. So what we began to see was that it was like whack-a-mole, like from a creative standpoint. Like I almost could not tell enough stories about who, what different verticals wanted performance shovels. Mm. And as a really small business, um, to try to tell all those stories at once, um, was kind of a bad choice. Like, we tried to be broad, and then we were like, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. We needed to, like, narrow, you know, narrow down. So by 2018, um, two things were happening. We had incredible business all winter long and zero revenue in the summer because we were making kicker tools for snow, and we were making driveway shovels, and we had nothing for dirt. Mm. So that was making me really grumpy because even though I really love to ride a lot of mountain, I ride dirt all the time on my mountain bike, um, like, a good summer is a hundred days on my bike. Not having revenue (laughs) in my business in the summer, I just couldn't take it anymore. I just, I couldn't, I just was like, this has to stop, you know? So by um, January, 2019, I was like, this is my goal for the year. Like we will, we are going to stop having such extreme seasonality in our business and we're going to launch a dirt tool and we're going to make a dirt shovel and we're going to make it be collapsible and it's going to be ridiculously durable And it's gonna be purpose built for off road recovery. And like, no one had made that. And like, I was like, and we're gonna make it out of aluminum. (laughs) People were like, what? Yeah. You're like a (laughs) weirdo. You know, and I was like, no, no, this makes sense. Here's how we're gonna do it. So there has been, even though it's a shovel, and you know, look, this is not, you know, like, this isn't like, you know, Elon Musk, you know, SpaceX or, you know, like Rivian or whatever. But I gotta tell you, the design thinking has been bold. Because mm-hmm. we don't, we are not, I don't like to just play small. I like to go ahead and say, well, why not? Like, there's a lot of crappy e-tools out there. Let's look at how they're made. Why are they crappy? You know, and they're, they're crappy because they're small and they're flimsy and they break. Um, and so we were like, all right, let's overbuild this thing. Let's make this thing bomber. So our Delta Shovel is super strong. And like, um, I mean, I pride myself on being able to have a company that has, um, you know, a ridiculously successful um, basically history of, 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 like, we have like no warranty repairs. Like we just don't.
0: I have not been able to break it and I'm good at abusing and, gear. <laughs> yeah. And my
1: son is like that guy yeah. that you can take out back and be like, Steve, break this. And you know, like he can't.
0: And f- yeah.
1: Yeah. And so we got those, we got those people. Yeah. You, know, you hand it to those people. Like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? So the thing is, is that, um, I feel like we have, uh, we have really created performance shovels and it matters. And why it matters is because we get like hundreds of letters a year from people who say like, hey, thank you for making this. Like you make it right. You make it the way I would want it to be made. Right. You know, I really like your design approach, um, you know, on you know the materials you use, how overbuilt it is, you know, heritage quality, built to last. And That makes me just really happy. That's really what I wanted. I mean, I think that we exist – as an antidote to the throwaway culture in the consumer space. And in shovel tools, it's really your first line of recovery. It's such a simple, basic piece of, of gear that you ought to be able to count on. I mean, it, and the main thing is, is that you ought to be able to pack it. Right. And I always say that the worst shovel problem you can have is not having one with you when you need it. And so Demos' designed to be portable, packable, rackable is critical because you'll always have it in your gear. That whole thing where you pull your car in the garage and you start to go through your build and you're like, oh, no, take this out, take this out. You know, I don't need this. Like, you, the shovel should stay in. And then you're always prepared.
0: Yeah. What I like about it is that you've built a rack carrier for it so that it, it was like taking up space in my one of my drawers in my deck box, which I was like needed to put other stuff in there. So I was like, I got to get one of the rack things, which is why I hit you up at uh, yeah. Overland Expo. And I'm like, hey. Yeah, you got one of these. And you're like, yeah, and yeah. so we got one, and now I love it because it's out of the way. It's on my rack yeah. on the outside of the truck, which it's, it's lockable, so yeah. no one can run off with it. So it's it, it's it's great, and I have used it several times, not for recovery, but for like just uh, I helped use it to uh, a lot of times dig fire pits. Yes. Which is, it's extremely handy. You like when you're off, off trail and you're like, or way out, way out in the back country and you're like, Oh, I want to have a fire for the night. Okay, cool. Exactly. Like, let's build a fire pit, a proper fire pit. So we don't have a fire danger in the back country. Exactly. And so, yeah, I've used it a lot for that and in some pretty nasty ground and it, it has not broke or failed or bent or awesome tweaked or anything. It's been really good. And I've probably, I've, I don't know, I've probably dug nine, 10, 12 fire pits with it and it's, it's done great. And so when I can, you know, use it as a pickaxe because mm-hmm. it converts, you can mm-hmm. like, you can. Um, it has home mode. Yeah. That's right. You can adjust it so that you can use it for pickaxe, pickaxe so I can loosen the ground and then shovel it. That's, it's, so it's kind of like a two in one. Yeah, almost. it is. Yeah. And so it, it's, it, it's a great piece of gear. I that's love, awesome. I love modular gear that is versatile and can do more than one thing. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you can, it's, it's out of the way. It's on my rack and out of the way and, it's awesome. e- and easy to access if I need to just jump out and grab it real quick to dig myself out. I can do that.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I love hearing that. And I mean, I think the, the, the thing about, um, I'm guessing, and you were a Marine, so you were issued an e-tool, and I just think that if you were, I, we've never done it, but I'd love to do it, which would be like, you know, take two people and be like, okay, dig your fire pit. And like, let's use a small e-tool and dig a fire pit or an avi shovel, and let's use the Demos Delta. Like, who's going to be able to start their fire faster? Right. And it's like, it's just not, it's hands, it hands, hands and shoulders above any other like kind of emergency small packable shovel that you could have. And while it may be comparable in performance to a hardware store shovel that maybe a contractor would use, a contractor shovel is just way too heavy for the payload for your vehicle, and where's it gonna go?
0: Correct, and then also the, there's not enough. Like the thing that I love about the, um, the Delta is it's got the same capabilities as an e-tool. It's packable and stowable like an e-tool. But it's a full size shovel, right? Whereas the E tool is like a little tiny, right? You know, it's smaller than my hand. I know. So it takes forever, like you just to don't do have, work with yeah, it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you don't have a volume in that blade when you go to scoop, but in the Delta, you got a full size shovel blade on that, right? And you can do the same thing with it in terms of using how it's used as an E tool, where you can right. like turn it and use it for a hoe or a, a pickaxe, right? And so I, l- I love that. Um, makes things really, re- it you know makes work quick. Which is nice when you're wanting to just sit next to the fire and have exactly. a beer at the yeah, end of the day. Yeah, exactly. So, so anyway,
1: yeah. so I've just been, I've been really happy about um, what we've done in terms of. I mean, it, you know, it again, it, it's 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 like sometimes I wish I was making an electric truck just because mm-hmm. I think that'd be a really cool thing to do, and I admire people who do that. But I love the fact that we've solved real problems for people, and that we just make heritage quality gear all day long, and as we're Kind of in 2022, um, you know, we've definitely gotten our sea legs, and we've got uh, this year some pretty cool product launches coming up that you know just extend our line in a very thoughtful way. So um,
0: good. I'm glad you brought this up because my next question yeah. is what What's next? What's yeah. next for so Gmos? What's
1: next for us is you know we feel like. Fitment is really the number one issue with the Delta because um, you know knowing that it is fully compatible with let's just you know say a bunch of different racks like Lightner, Front Runner, you know Baja Designs, Prinsu. Like really working on specific fitment, I think is something I want to spend time on this mm-hmm. year, and I want to make sure that we have a roll bar compatible mount so that and and maybe even I think where we're kind of heading is uh, so you know. P.S. to your listeners, we're going to basically probably do what we'll call like a Delta Tactical. So it will be a smaller version of the Delta so that it is a roll bar compatible product. We have a lot of customers that are ATV, UTV uh, owners. Mm-hmm. And again, they're going to want to mount it on the roll bar as opposed to like they don't have like a truck bed rack like you do. So um, heading in that direction, um, but having mountable products and really serving the ATV, UTV market is something I'm super excited about. I'm excited about... Um, We have a very large sprinter van following as well. And in the sprinter van world, um, the loose debris shovel that we make that's known as the stealth shovel... Um, is a very popular offering, and we've wanted to pair that with a windshield scraper. And, you know, you kind of might say, well, windshield scraper, like, who cares? No, no, no. When you've got, like, 10 inches of snow, and you're on – you know got, a, like, a, you know, sprinter van, you know, high roof, 144 sprinter van, high roof, you know, it's not easy to get snow off that vehicle, and you no. need a really long yes. handle. And, you know, we've got that, and we're like, dude, we've got the coolest design for that. It's like, I love it because these are not, like, the hardest – in a way, they're not like the hardest product to make, but we just take such a totally different design approach. Like I'm just trying to be like like Apple, just like think mm-hmm. differently. Like we think differently about everything. Um, so really enjoying that because the design that we've got coming for that is is super cool and is just it's just unique and like no one thinks like that. Um, and we've been really interested in modular storage for a while. Modular sort of uh, load bearing storage panels and connectors um because I like to organize gear and the shovel premise is have to have something always at hand and never in the way and so I really get interested in storage both bags and also kind of mounting things to panel and going from garage to car is, is a great interest of mine and being able to do that in a frictionless way and having things be very organized so this is sort of where demos is sort of at you know it's our dna and kind of where we're at you know it's like just making sure you're always going to have the right gear always at hand and never in the way um thinking differently about how gear and in particular shovels and windshield scrapers and you know objects that you keep in your car stowed like that's where we live
0: yeah i would love that i would love if you guys did a windshield windshield scraper the other thing too uh, if I can make a suggestion, I would love to see you guys do something with more modularity with the the tool carrier. Mm. Like I would like to see some add on parts to that, to mm-hmm. where I can carry my shovel, but then it also has a bracket that I can attach to it that I can put my uh, I can put a fire extinguisher on, or I can put an 11 pound propane bottle to run my stove on. You know, in case I want to mount that on my, you know, if I want to move that off the rack where it's at now and move it back to my um, my dual swing gate when yes. I get that put together. I want to be able to have that capability or have like a um, uh, a machined, I, I don't know if the, some of the companies now are making those machined Molly panels. That's that are, So that's what
1: we're working on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: So take something like that and be able to integrate it into your carrier to exactly. now I can put, I can carry my shovel and now maybe a first aid kit. Yes. Or I can carry a large Molly pouch that now I can shove my recovery rope in. Yes. So now I want to go pull somebody out real quick. I can just unzip that on the my, on my tailgate, pull my rope out, hook it on my... Hook it on my my hook on my uh, on my bumper, and then hook it on the front hook of the of the vehicle and pull them out. You know, I want to be able to uh, have a little bit more uh, have, have a little bit more functionality, and just having it besides something that can carry my shovel, like mm-hmm. have it be something that can carry a suite mm-hmm. of gear that I, I need mounting solutions for anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel I and feel and we like, are thinking of that. Okay, good. Yeah, that
1: is 100%. It's like right yeah. on the money. Good. And you know, I was really honored this year because actually 2021. Because uh, you probably may have heard of the brand Illuminous, and they're in the mm-hmm. Sprinter van spa- space. Yeah. They have family-owned business, been around for a long time, making really quality bumpers and um, cargo boxes and roof racks for Sprinter vans. And they made their own version of our stealth shovel mount that mm-hmm. included an axe, a Fisker's axe. Ax. And I was thrilled about that because... I could see where um, where they were going in that thought process and getting back to what you're saying. It's like, no, 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 now make things that carry multiple things because there's sort of this, like, at the detail level with these builds, you know, it's sort of like, okay, you can make a decision around your bumpers and you can make a decision around your roof rack. But, like, when it really comes down to it, it it's sort of these, these rear quarter panel windows mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, panels behind the crew cab in, you know, a... Um, in a truck bed cover or, you know, camper top that are really useful spaces that are sort of the white spaces that people aren't thinking about. Right. And I'm very interested in them. So, yeah.
0: there, Well, there's so much room in the market to play right now. Yeah, like I the, think that's right. The market is still very, very young for the overlanding space. I mean, I was, I was pleasantly surprised when I walked the show and I saw where the, you know, cause this is what I've done in the tactical market for years is like as a designer, like I, I the surfaces gaps in product offering, uh, you know, all over, all over the industry. And that's how I start to formulate my design hypothesis for product is like, I'm like, okay, what is needed? That's not being produced by anybody else. Exactly. Where's their opportunity. And so going to uh, Overland expo, I was pleasantly surprised with how much room in the market there is to play in the space and i think there's there's plenty of room i, I think agree. i think that market's going to continue to grow uh substantially over the next decade
1: yep i think that's right and i think it's also going to grow in the direction of um what you often see is sort of what i'll call prosumer mm-hmm. and that can't that's that's really speak that comes from like the camera space yeah where you know sony and canon and others sort of make um, you know, professional. You know, photo- you know, photography equipment, and then they've they've taken it and made it for someone who is sort of a, you know, kind of every. It was well before iPhones. They sort of made mm-hmm. them for people that were sort of point and click. And I think that a lot of the overland type solutions will be made for everyday SUV. You know, kind of kind of soccer moms and dads, and you know, I think that that will start to migrate into your daily driver.
0: Yeah. I've already st- I've already started to see more and more people uh, getting off trail that don't even like their vehicles aren't even built out. Right. They're doing like old school like I used to do when I was a kid like car camping stuff where they've got like yeah. your basic you know Toyota Tacoma pickup, no fancy stuff on it, and they've got the bed loaded up with like their tents and their chairs, just like I you know described at the front of the podcast like how I used to do it when I was a kid, and they're getting out there very much and still enjoying the great outdoors with you know not a you know sixty thousand dollar build Mm -hmm. that they're driving around so exactly so yeah so I think there's uh in terms of you know demographics that you can reach for people there's tons of space to play Mm -hmm. yeah you've got the you know weekend hobbyists that want to just keep their truck vehicle stock and throw everything in the back of the truck and then you've got freaks like us that love to you know build something out that I can live on in very rough terrain for two maybe three weeks at a time
1: yeah 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 yeah
0: Awesome. Well, this is, this has been great. Do you want, do you have anything else you want to cover? No, I
1: think, I feel like we're, we're at a good spot. You know, um, I, um, I'm just delighted to have a chance to sit down and talk to you. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, um, this is such a, it is really such a small industry. And I often say that one of the things that makes me like what gets me up, you know, every day for like work is sort of getting to work with great people. Yeah. And I think business is all about relationships Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, um, to be, uh, to be able to co-create the future with other brands and partners, um, is just, is just such a tremendous opportunity and, um, just really happy to just be able to hang out with you. So this was great.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for the invitation to come down and I was excited to see the new space and check everything out. And cool. I'm really excited about where you guys are going next in terms of products.
1: Appreciate it. This yeah. is awesome. So, um, do you do you want to remind your listeners to be able to check out DemosCollective.com? com?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that. That's the next <laughs> thing. That's what we always close that. I was where, gonna say. Yeah, like, please, people, yeah, check it out. Yeah, you no. know,
1: give us a look. Um, you know, we're passionate about what we do, and you know, we make great loose debris shovels, hard earth shovels, mounts, um, bags, um, and have and also sell some uh, car kit components that you'd want. Um, by you know, we we we're resellers for. Um, for Petzl and for uh, Wagon Tech with their iron chargers. And so just check us out.
0: Yeah. And so where can they find you on social?
1: Uh, so on social, Demos Collective on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and demoscollective.com on the web.
0: Awesome. Okay. All right. Well, that was awesome. Thank you so much for sitting down for this.
1: That's cool. You're so welcome.
0: Okay, that wraps it up. We are two podcasts, or I should say, two guests deep into the new year. And I'm super excited about it. We are getting, Kato and I are getting ready to go take off and go to Shot Show. It's Shot Show time. So you guys should stay tuned because we've got all kinds of amazing guests lined up to sit down and interview while we're at Shot Show. It's going to be an exciting week. I can hardly wait to get down there. It's been a couple of years since I've been to Shot Show. It's going to be kind of interesting. With the uh COVID and the mask mandates from the state and all of the stupid shit that the NSSF is uh mandating from all of the vendors. So it's gonna be interesting to see. There's been a few vendors that uh have stuck to their guns and they're like, How the hell can we go down and, you know, talk about Second Amendment, First Amendment and all the things when you're when and then be succumbing to tyrannical mask mandates and all of the other stupid things that go along with that. So yeah, I kinda see where they're where they're coming from on a lot of that and I don't blame any of these. I often wrestle with the same things myself. So we're probably not going to spend much time on the show floor. I, I traditionally don't anyway. I walk around shot show a little bit. I maybe I'm down on the floor for maybe one or two days that week and the 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 bulk of what I do is off site and it's uh it's having meetings and doing stuff off site. So I I rarely go down to the floor anyway. So not going to be too much of a change of pace for me, but for other people, if you're like down on the floor and in it for four or five days of the show, it is going to be interesting to see how things go. I have a feeling there's going to be some interesting situations because there's some very outspoken, amazing American and freedom loving people and companies that are going to go to the show. And I'm just, I'm, interested to see with a smile on my face how things pan out with all of these mandates and regulations from state in Nevada and then SSF so we'll see where things land uh but it's going to be a great week and we will catch you when we guys get when we get back from that we will have a weapons free Wednesday this following week uh so only four episodes this month a lot of you guys have been like messaging me and being like hey what's up where's the how come we don't have this and we don't have that and people pay attention okay listen to the intro and outro listen to the words coming out of my mouth we have turned down the volume a little bit in terms of frequency of output for content for number of episodes so that we can keep up with the workload and all the other 1 million things that Cato and I have going on so just in case we'll reiterate again we're going to do we this month because of the craziness of shot show we did a guest then we did a weapons free Wednesday the following week we're doing a guest right now and then the next week, the last week of the month, we will follow up with the Weapons Free Wednesday. And then we're going to take a hard look at our work schedules going into first quarter of this year. And we're going to make a command decision on whether we're going to stick with that model uh, to keep our workload more manageable. Or whether we're going to click things back onto where they were before with doing two episodes a week. So I know you guys would probably love to have two episodes a week. But sometimes it's just not realistic with the other things that Cato and I have going on. So... Sometimes it's really hard to keep up, and we did a great job of putting almost a year's worth of content out in five months uh, last year. So, which was really hard. It was challenging, and we even did that by taking a month off in the fall. So, we were that gives you a good idea of like really in a four month period because we took a month off of us putting out almost a year's worth of content. So, we are going to see how things. We're going to see where the chips land going into 22. So be patient. We're happy to have you guys on the journey. Stay with us. And we look forward to getting that Weapons Free Wednesday out this next week after SHOT Show and then turning up the volume for February for new guests coming on the show going into the new year.
1: All right. That takes care of it for this week. We'll catch you next week. Peace.